Welcome back to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, I thought I would do something slightly different rather than what we've been doing for the past few weeks, which is a little bit more opinion-based on what's been going on and sprinkling in some information. We're going to go back to the old format where maybe I'm giving a little more information and a little less opinion. So on this week's episode, I've been wanting to talk a little bit about how we got to where we are today when it comes to Gaza. A lot of people are really misinformed about the history of Gaza, how we got here, and needing a little bit more of a background. So on this episode, I'm hoping we'll touch a little bit more on that. In an attempt to sort of summarize the history of the Gaza region, we have to understand the map that we're looking at. If you can imagine the Middle East in a map, which unfortunately I can't show you in a podcast, think about the area of Israel or the Levant, which is on the coastline of the Mediterranean. This was actually somewhat of a superhighway during the ancient times. This is the bridge or the, the crossing in between Asia, Africa, and even on its way to Europe. So over the history of this area, we had superpowers and empires coming through, taking over in order to move one place to another or move their armies across the world or simply just to have the control over the trade routes. Now, if you picture Gaza and where that is on the map, that is at the bottom tip on the west side, right beside the Mediterranean. So any person or group of people who wanted to travel on that route along the Mediterranean in order to get to Egypt or from Egypt up north to Syria or to Europe, you would have to actually pass through the area that we now know today as Gaza. This would have been an incredibly important spot to take over if you're trying to control the region, and many did. As a little bit of a side note, just the name Gaza itself is actually quite interesting, being that Gaza is actually not an Arabic word. It is a Hebrew word that comes from the Torah, and the real word is Aza. So for all of the people who like to say that that is really quote-unquote Palestinian Arab land, like we've said in previous podcasts, it's interesting how all of the cities and the areas that they currently occupy Amazing how not many of them have actual Arabic names. I'm sorry to break it to those out there who like to suggest that the Palestinian Arabs have a thousands of years old culture and claim to the land of Israel. Unfortunately, the fact that you have names for cities and towns and areas that are based on Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and every other language other than Arabic only goes to prove that you came after those people came to the region and renamed the area. Gaza often is referred in the Hebrew Bible as the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were a sea people that came likely from Greece or somewhere in that area who took over the west coast of Israel and were actually quite the thorn in the side of the Israelites, which on a side note is actually the reason why the whole land was then called Palestine by the Romans as an insult. When the Romans took over many years later, they decided to use the word Palestine or Philistine to be an insult to the Jewish people, being that they were the great enemies of the Jews who had taken over their land and caused so many problems during their earlier days. One very famous story from Gaza is actually the story of Samson and Delilah. Many people understand this story and they've seen videos and books and movies about this, you know, the idea of this judge, Samson, who was a Jewish person who had this beautiful flowing hair which was apparently the source of his strength. And Delilah, a Philistine woman who had to try and trick Samson into giving up his secret to all of his strength, 
And unfortunately, when she found out the source of his strength was his hair, she had cut it off, leaving him helpless and to be dragged off to Gaza. Ironic, considering the current situation. Also somewhat ironic and very sad, when he's in Gaza, he's actually tortured and his eyes are gouged out. And with the last bit of strength, he turns to God and he asks God for one last bit of strength and he pushes down the pillars that he's tied to in order to take down the entire house, killing all of the Philistines in the room and himself. Many of these stories, whether it's Samson or King David or any of the people from our Hebrew Bible or our Torah, were in and around the Philistines. They were typically in places like Gaza. So the Jewish people in the Torah actually do have an extensive amount of time spent within Gaza, or what is now known as Gaza. If we fast forward a little bit to when the Greeks took over the area, this Greek outpost called Gaza was actually a Hellenizing influence over the ancient Israelites. It became somewhat of a zone of issue for the Maccabees when they were trying to retake Israel and remove all of the Hellenization. A lesser known Maccabee, Yonatan the Hasmonean, conquered Gaza and he moved there in 145 BCE, 20 years after the temple in Jerusalem was captured and the miracle of the oil happened. Gaza was then officially absorbed into the kingdom of Judah, and ruled by the Jewish Hasmonean kings. As we move forward a little bit and we pass a few empires and we move on to the Muslim conquest of the area. And when the Muslims came in, they took over all of the Levant. They took over everything all the way up to Turkey and down to Egypt. And in the middle, unfortunately, was Gaza and Israel. This area was then left under eventually the Ottoman Empire with a mix of Jewish and Arab inhabitants. This led to the 1929 pogroms. After a decade of increasing anti-Jewish rhetoric from Arab leaders in the British Palestine, armed Arab groups rose up to attack Jews in August 1929. The riots began to spread to other areas, including the cities of Tzfat, Hebron, and Gaza. Scores of Jews all over these areas were killed by the Arab riots. After taking no action for six days during the riots, the British soldiers finally stepped in to stop the riots and to finally remove the Jews from the area they had lived for centuries. All of the Jews living in Hebron and Gaza were forced from their homes and forbidden by the British authorities to return. So what used to be a Jewish area under the Maccabees and the independent Jewish state eventually was given to the Arabs. This wasn't the end for the Jews in Gaza, though. The Jews returned to Gaza and established kibbutzim, or collective farms in 1946. Jewish life in Gaza unfortunately didn't last very long. As the United Nations proposed division of the mandatory Palestine, Gaza itself was divided between a proposed Arab state and Israeli state. Israel, who accepted the UN plan, was attacked immediately by the Arab states who did not accept it in 1948. In the fighting that followed, Israel captured Gaza. In a subsequent ceasefire negotiation, Israel decided to give Gaza to Egypt in return for control over the nearby cities of Ashdod and Ashkelon. At the same time, the Arab population of Gaza grew as Palestinian Arabs moved to Gaza from other areas around what is now known as Israel. Israel conquered Gaza once more in 1956, after Egypt and the Arab nations attacked Israel once again. And even when the Egyptians lost to the Israelis again, Israel decided to return Gaza back to the Egyptians. During the 67 war, Israel again conquered Gaza, 
And in the 1970s, the Jews began to return to Gaza once again. And over the next 30 years, the Jews built 21 new farms and towns within Gaza. Gaza actually became the home to most of Israel's organic farms and accounted for 15% of the overall agricultural output of the country. For over a decade, Arabs and Jews lived and farmed side by side in Gaza. There were no border walls or security fences or anything like that. That was until the first intifada in 1987. Peaceful coexistence officially came to a halt as the Oslo Accords of 1993 promised to evacuate most of Gaza, giving way to be governed by a future Palestinian authority. However, the peace agreement did fall apart and tensions continued to rise in Gaza. In 2005, a major event happened in Gaza, and that is the pullout of all Jewish people who had lived there for years. The Israeli government decided that it was going to give one massive show for peace, and they were going to pull out all Jewish people from the Gaza Strip, no matter how long they had lived there for, in order to show the Gazan people and the world that they were realistic about peace and they were willing to do whatever it takes. The world watched in 2005 as the Israeli army was turned against its own people, forcibly removing families from their homes and destroying them with bulldozers in order to give the Gazans a chance at a future state. At a massive expense to the Israeli government, a horrible PR campaign within Israel, terrifying and pulling out their own civilians and not providing them with enough to rebuild their lives somewhere else in Israel, it was a complete mess. However, they were hoping that it would come with peace. Gaza was under the full control of the Palestinian Authority that was created under the Oslo Accords. However, this did not last long, because with freedom came infighting. The Palestinian Authority, formerly known as Fatah, was in firm control, and they were calling for an election. Unfortunately, they did not like the fact that there was a new group in town who was very anti-Fatah, and they wanted in on the government. Hamas, which we all know today, started as a spin-off from the Muslim Brotherhood, and they attempted to show that they can provide social services and things that the Fatah group, or Palestinian Authority, was not giving. Things like schools and hospitals, which caused many people to vote for them. They came with a large message of improvement to the lives of the Gazan people, and the Palestinian Arabs as a whole. People were really tired of what they believed to be the corruption and the lack of movement for the Palestinian Arabs under the current leadership of Mahmoud Abbas. Hamas, a group that came about to go against the peace and negotiations and the partnership that the Palestinian Liberation Organization had turned into under the Palestinian Authority, fought bitterly in this election. And Hamas ended up winning slightly. But rather than give over the power that the PLO had gotten under the Palestinian Authority, they decided to revolt. And there was a civil war that happened between the two groups. Fighting in Gaza in the streets, people being murdered, dragged through town. It was an absolute horror show for civilians and people on both sides of this argument. And in the end, when the dust cleared, Israel allowed Fatah and their supporters to go to the West Bank thus leaving Hamas by itself in Gaza and anybody else who was unable to leave, along with people who supported their message of no negotiations and no accepting Israel as a country. And this is where we are today. We have a group of Fatah and their supporters in the West Bank, and we have a second completely different group of Hamas in Gaza, 
and their supporters. Of course, on either side, you've got people in the West Bank who support Hamas, who are very hostile against the Palestinian Authority. We also, unfortunately, have people in Gaza who are not necessarily pro-Hamas, but are stuck there and have no way of getting out. Ironically, one of the things that these two groups do agree on is their education system. Ironically, both groups use the same education system in order to brainwash their people. Their education system is filled with horrible anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, made-up factually inaccurate history about what's going on in the Middle East. And it actually brainwashes their youth to grow up to not only hate Jewish people, but also to not realize their own leadership's fault in why they don't have a state. They have bred for generations now groups and groups of people who will never accept an Israeli state because of all the terrible things they've been told about the Israelis, about Jews in general, and about why the Israelis somehow stole their land, which is completely inaccurate. I'm sure if you look at these textbooks, there is no mention of any of the negotiations that they had, any of the attempts at peace. All they say is that Israel stole their land, which is completely untrue. Groups who look over these textbooks in order to show the world what they're teaching their students, math problems like if three people martyr themselves against the Israelis and two more people martyr themselves, then how many martyrs do you have? It is really funny the level in which these people are so uneducated. There's a great video of Yosef Haddad, an Arab Israeli, asking a Palestinian person who the first prime minister of Palestine was or who the prime minister was just before the Israelis occupied the land. And this Palestinian guy had no clue of his own history. I know this likely goes without the need to say, but for anybody who might be new to the podcast, there was no ancient historical leader of the Palestinian land, because there wasn't one. And we wonder why people, unfortunately, are supporting these groups that are in Gaza and even the West Bank, when they grew up learning nothing but the fact that Israel is the oppressor and that they stole their land, and the reason their life is so terrible is not because of their own government. It is because of the evil oppressor Israel. So knowing what we learned from what they're teaching their kids, along with the cycle of violence, are we so surprised that we get polls coming out of Gaza that say that 80 plus percent of Gazans support Hamas's actions on October 7th? Or are we surprised that 98% of Palestinian Arabs feel the pride in being a Palestinian after October 7th? How do we deal with an issue like this, where people are so brainwashed in Gaza that they don't know their own history? How do you fight this terrorism that is caused by a lack of education and their leadership lying about who's the cause of their problems while stealing all of their money? Is there a possibility to root out this evil that they have created for themselves? How many generations is it going to take after we stop this horrible misinformation that they are giving in their education system before we can actually have a group that's willing to have peace? Once Hamas is gone, and God willing they will be gone, what comes next? Some people have suggested that maybe the Palestinian Authority is going to go into Gaza. Will this lead to yet another civil war between the Hamas sympathizers and Palestinian Authority? Because many Gazans don't care much for the Palestinian Authority and their corruption. So what comes next? Is Israel going to have to move back into the Gaza Strip in order to maintain control over this region to stop Hamas and their sympathizers from coming back? Honestly, I really don't know the answer to this. It seems like hopefully Israel has a plan here. 
But the reality was we couldn't continue to allow a terrorist organization to run freely in this terror state funded by the UN and all of their friends around the world, which includes many of you and your governments who are giving money to these UNRWA education centers, passing along this terrible misinformation and creating future terrorists. Do we really want to go back in time to a place where we had to put our Israeli soldiers in harm's way in order just to maintain order in this chaotic area? In the end, this really is a region that has been fought over for many, many, many years by many different empires. But when we look at the history of Gaza, we can understand that one of the best times that it's ever had is when Israel was controlling it and the Gazan people, along with the Israelis, farmed side by side and lived happily and safely next to one another without any barrier walls, security fences, or checkpoints. This is what we should be hoping for. Hopefully the history will be the guide and will bring that back to this region where we can have peace living in coexistence in an Israeli state. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time.